afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium. Zivikowski trying to get to the outside. He has blockers in front. Time for Zivikowski. Belong to beat. Shakes it off. To the five and touchdown. And now it is down. It is over. And the Irish have knocked off number one Clemson. Brady Quinn looking. Pump fakes. He rolls to the near side. Throws it. It's caught by Samaja. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. He's going in. Notre Dame has scored. Jones is the back. He's got it again. And Jones a letter room. Tony Jones makes a cut. Gets a block. And scores. Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish? Hello and welcome to Sunset Saturday Irish. I'm Tyler Wojak. I'm joined alongside Luke Smith. And I hope you all enjoyed a nice and relaxing Christmas. But to be honest, I hope you have an even better New Year watching Notre Dame take on the Oklahoma State Cowboys in the Fiesta Bowl, which is set to take place on New Year's Day. We're recording this at 5.30 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday, December 28th. And as of now, there have not been any COVID-related issues reported from either team. Just knocked on wood to be sure, but as it stands, everything looks good for Saturday. Um, across college football, we have seen a ton of bowl cancellations due to the COVID spread going on around the United States. And look, we'll keep you updated if anything changes over the next few days. But as of now, um, we'll do our best to treat it like a normal game because, like I said, everything, you know, all systems are a go at this point. I know we are both very excited about it, and I'm sure you are too. We'll do a deep dive on the festival here in a bit. Um, but we also have a few news items to touch on that came out in the last week since our last episode. Um, so we'll hit on those off the top. But first, Last night, the winningest quarterback in school history, one of our all-time favorite players, Ian Book, took the field again. Uh, he made his NFL debut for the Saints on Monday Night Football. Huge game uh, for playoff implications, but the Saints were absolutely decimated by COVID. It's really the main reason why Ian was starting. And um, as for Ian and the overall performance of the Saints offense, it went about as well as the first time I tried to use the toilet without a diaper. Um, it was a shit-stained mess, Jeez. and uh, that's certainly not all Ian's fault uh, because, like I said, the Saints were decimated by COVID, but uh, I don't know. I thought it was cool to see him play again. Um, how did you feel watching Ian back out in the football field? It was cool to get to see him play again, but, yeah, you're right. He just a total uphill battle. Um, no live practices prior to his start, so really had no reps with anybody. Just two walkthroughs. Their best receiver was that Callaway guy from Tennessee. That's never very good. Uh, Kamara looked like he didn't give a shit being out there. Like that was one of the most pathetic performances I've ever seen. Uh, and when you have 22 guys in the protocol, you just have no chance against a strong Dolphins defense. I, I honestly, he took a ton of shots. I still thought he looked pretty poised. But, you know, after seeing how Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields have struggled in their own rookie years, and I think we would all agree that those are two guys who are probably much more talented than Ian Book. I don't think anything we saw last night should have been a big surprise. I just hope he gets another chance in a more favorable situation. I know. And he did show his toughness. There was a couple times, I think it was the one hit when one of the Dolphins edge rushers just completely blew by um, the Saints right tackle. And he got hit like the helmet was clean in the chin, didn't see it coming, and just got buried. And for like a split second there, Ian was laying on the ground. And you could probably tell... The thoughts that were going through his head, like, I don't want to get up. Like, this is terrible. But give him credit. He uh, he bounced right back up every single time. And even if, you know, 
they didn't convert a third down. They didn't score a touchdown or anything. You know, just from that perspective, I think you got to be at least a little bit impressed by the way that Ian hand, handled such a pretty terrible situation. You're right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. The NFL is the NFL at the end of the day. And I think I was just more stunned by how big a freak Saints fans were in attendance last night with the face paint and their little kid. Like, NFL fans are just weirdos. So Have you ever seen a that. Saints game? I feel like that's pretty common. No, honestly, like, the NFL sucks. So I don't really watch a lot of the NFL um, because it, for reasons like that. Like, I just go into a couple Bears games this year. People are freaks. That's all I have to say. I was going to say, you're also a Bears fan. I'm a Browns fan. So we'd probably feel a little bit better about um, – the NFL, if our teams weren't so just consistently terrible. But it kind of reminded me, this is uh, relates to you as a Cubs fan, it reminded me um, of the time that I went to Chris Bryant's debut, and I'm not a Cubs fan at all, but it was like freshman year of college. We found out that he was being called up on like a Thursday night, and even though I wasn't a Cubs fan, like everyone knew who Chris Bryant was, and there was so much hype and anticipation for it. And uh, me... And my freshman roommate, Nate, we drove in that Friday. And then when we got to Wrigley, it was like the Cubs were hosting a playoff game. Like there was a banner that said, happy Chris Bryant day. People were saying that to you in the streets that everyone was so excited to watch this rookie make his debut. And he comes up for his first at bat. Like everyone's got their phones out thinking they're seeing this like huge moment. And he strikes out and then he struck out again. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did. He have the golden sombrero that day. <laughs> he went 0 for four uh, with three Ks on his last at bat. He finally made contact. It was like a a dribbler in the infield for a ground out. And um, so basically, what I'm trying to say here is that Ian's stat line yesterday was about uh, golden sombrero equiv- equivalent. So basically, Ian's going to become an MVP and probably win a ring here. That's uh, my sort of main yeah. Well, takeaway. yeah, Chris Chris Bryant won Rookie of the Year that year, and then yeah, MVP the next year in the World Series. So yeah, yeah right. I guess you're you're right. It works <laughs> out okay. All right. Well, now we know how to to protect Ian's career. Um, speaking of quarterbacks, though, um, it appears that Notre Dame reached out to former USC quarterback uh, Keaton Slovis about potentially transferring to Notre Dame. Now, obviously, this year, Notre Dame has went with a grad transfer quarterback all season long, Jack Cohn. And overall, it's worked out pretty damn well. I mean, he's 11-1 as a starter. Um, People have had some strong opinions on him, and it's been up and down throughout the year. So Slovis ended up committing to Pitt. So this is really just more of the idea that Notre Dame is out, like, seeking for a new quarterback. But I think that might be a little bit overblown. I think Reese was just kicking the tires on a guy who, when healthy, is a very good quarterback. How did you see that? So Ree, Tommy Reese, when asked about it, more or less ignored the question. He just said they're happy with the quarterbacks they have on the roster. I don't really read a whole lot into this at all. Uh, I think this is just the nature of college football in 2022. The backup quarterback position really does not exist. Uh, you expect guys to transfer, so you need to try to take – as many quarterbacks as you can get with this whole one-time transfer rule. I mean, after all, who knows what Drew Pine decides to do after this season? I don't think the coaching staff trusts that Drew Pine is the answer if Tyler Buckner gets hurt. And that's the thing. It, it does seem, and this comes from a number of sources, I think Pete Sampson has said this a number of times, Notre Dame has some concerns about Buckner and his ability to avoid injuries. It, it's not a talent thing. They think he's the guy. I trust he's the guy, too. Um, but he had a couple injuries this year, a hamstring and ankle, and I think that gives Notre Dame a little bit of pause. You know, I think you have to look at what he did this year, too, in a very different lens than what Jack Cohn was set out to do. I mean, every opportunity 
Buckner was inserted in this year. He was trying to make plays. He was trying to be a spark. And to a large extent, I thought he did a really good job on that. I mean, how many times do we say this year, why isn't Buckner in the game? Every time he's in, they seem to score. So that's why I'm very confused why it seems like Notre Dame fans lately have kind of been naysaying him and turning on him. I guess Notre Dame fans are just fucking idiots. Um, That's kind of all I got, which is not surprising. But I'm excited to see him in the full realm of the offense next year. Like, he didn't really get that opportunity, and I I think it'll be exciting. And if he can stay healthy, I I trust that he's going to do very well. I I think with the hype that he came in with, like Trevor Lawrence basically ruined it for all true freshman quarterbacks because of how quickly he adapted to the college game and then dominated because now – that's almost like the expectation for a highly recruited guy to come into college and just figure it out right away and then excel immediately. And that's just not the case more often than not. So yeah, Buckner and limited action, there were some passes that he missed and you know, against Virginia tech, when he saw a lot of playing time, he had two really bad and potentially devastating interceptions. But again, he's a freshman coming in for spot play. Notre Dame probably looks at it like, well, we have to run him. Because if we don't, we're just not using him correctly. He's an incredible athlete. He's very effective as a runner. I mean, hell, sometimes he looks like a running back with his awareness and the fact that he immediately goes to the stiff arm whenever he's out in the open field. And if we're being honest with ourselves about which quarterback would give Notre Dame a better chance to win in the season opener against Ohio State, Slovis or Buckner? I mean, it's probably Slovis, just given the amount of experience he's had. But long term, I think the staff believes Buckner is definitely the solution but yeah there's definitely reason uh to believe that he's not I wouldn't say injury prone because I feel like that is such a negative stigma to it but yeah he's probably going to get banged up if they use him the way that they want to use him and that makes Pine's decision all that more meaningful but I think ultimately Reese is saying the priority is in this quarterback room and keeping everyone together and I think that's honestly ultimately going to happen yeah, and I mean, I, the other thing I would say is look at the Heisman voting this year. It was won by Bryce Young, a guy who didn't play a lot as a freshman quarterback, spot play last year, who was second place, C.J. Stroud, same story. So I, I just, people need to just be realistic. Like, it's so frustrating to me. I, I'm just so done with fans. They're just so stupid. And um, anyways, that's kind of what I wanted to rant about a little bit. But I, I'm fairly confident that he's going to be very good next year. You do need to build up that that room for depth, um, and who knows, after a full offseason. I mean, you saw Kevin Austin said today in the Fiesta Bowl presser, he makes passes in practice I can't believe. Wow, we're coming off hot in this one. We're 10 minutes in. You've already said fans suck and the NFL sucks. This is early. Well, I don't like the NFL. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I'm not wrong about anything. <laughs> I'm sure. Okay. Um, another thing that came out, there's some rumors swirling. Nothing official has been said, and I don't think we're going to get anything official until after the ball game. Um but there's been some rumors that Harry Heastand is one of the more popular candidates to come back to Notre Dame as the full-time offensive line coach. Heastand obviously was around from 2012 through 2017, helped continue the O-line U legacy at Notre Dame and really sort of ignited it. Um, in this era, you saw you know Zach Martin, he coached him, he coached Quint Nelson, Mike McGlinchey, first-round all-pro NFL offensive lineman. Um, from a resume standpoint, it's hard to imagine that Notre Dame could find another offensive line coach with the type of resume that he stand has. But the reaction to this news has been uh, polarizing, honestly, a little bit more than I even expected considering I thought Notre Dame fans would be all on board, but admittedly I have some concerns about it. I'm not saying it would be a bad hire, but I think that there's definitely reason for fans to be concerned. And I think you're in the same boat. 
Yeah, I am strangely a little bit wary of the idea of Harry Houston coming back next year. Um, it's I feel kind of dumb because of just how the results he produced during his tenure at Notre Dame. But I think there's a couple reasons for pause. One being he apparently was not very interested in recruiting towards the end of his tenure at Notre Dame. Uh, yeah, how much do you buy that? Because I don't know if I, I buy that. Like, his last class was terrible. And the, the 2018 class, they signed four offensive linemen. Jarrett Patterson was the only one to ever have a start for Notre Dame. But I thought, overall, he was actually pretty solid. Well, I said towards the end of his tenure. And, I mean, I don't think he's one that really wants to bow down to a 17-year-old kid. Do, do you? <laughs> Neither do I. And I would say Harry certainly does not. Yeah, I just... I don't know if his style works in 2022. Obviously, his ability to ve- to develop is unquestioned, but, you know, we had Sam Bush on here telling Harry he stands stories. Uh, we know what he's like in practice. I know a couple other guys who played for him. Uh, opinions seem kind of split on him. He's not for everybody. I know a number of players who played for both him and Jeff Quinn, and they preferred Quinn's style and connected with him better. So that's worth something. And now I'm sure I'll have Logan Plants listen to this and text me something very angry saying I have no idea what I'm talking about, which is true. <laughs> but, um, you know, we'll see what happens. I've just, uh, I'm a little bit more cautious about it than I would probably expect myself to be, given his track record. Yeah, for me, I'm with you. I don't want to say, like, hey, this is going to be a good or higher or bad hire. I don't want to talk about his coaching style because I obviously never lived it. Um, right. It's funny you mentioned Sam because I actually asked him about it for that same reason because he holds Easton in very high regard. But as Sam and Logan have said on this podcast, like no one got the worst of Easton like Sam and, <laughs> you know, called him like an MF for just every name under the sun. And it was just a lot. Uh, but again, Sam was able to take that and respond well to it. That's not the case for every offensive lineman. That's fine. You know, like people react to that kind of coaching differently. Not everyone's the same. And in that case, I just lean on the guys who actually played for him. Um, I think if you polled every offensive lineman that played for he stand at Notre Dame, my guess is the majority of them would give their stamp of approval. So that's one way to look at it. For me, I just think of it as the guy's been retired for how many years now? Three? How long was he with the Bears? Uh, no, he got fired from the Bears in 2020. I think. Yeah, 20, no, tw- 2019. Yeah, okay, so yeah, three years, I guess, yeah. Okay, so yeah, he's been away from the game for three years. He hasn't recruited since 2017. And th- that's the thing where I take pause at more than anything else, just because this is such a grind, being a college football coach, leaving it and going away from it and then going back. And then, you know, maybe – He's energized and he wants to go get back into it. But I feel like the Notre Dame offensive line position, like if you are looking at the easiest coaches or the easiest position coaches to get in the country, like the the Notre Dame offensive line job is probably one of the most coveted just because, first of all, the talent that's already on the roster is incredible, especially the young talent at like this current freshman class and then the incoming freshman class just loaded with four and five stars. It's O-line you. I mean, literally the Joe Moore award, Joe Moore was the O-line coach at Notre Dame and everything else that Notre Dame offers. It feels like Notre Dame should not be in a situation where they have to sort of, um, Notre Dame should not have to be in a situation where they have to settle for anyone. They should get the best possible hire. And if that's, he stand great. And if it's not, I totally understand. But either way, um, I just lean on the guy who's, guys who played and I think they have more of a sense of this than either of us do. 
It, I mean, yeah, I, I have no idea. So that's why I don't know why I'm wary because I, I don't know anything. But it, it, you're right. It should be a very attractive job. As we'll get into, I mean, this offensive line in the Fiesta Bowl is going to have two freshmen starting with Josh Lugout and, and Blake Fisher making his first start since Labor Day. Uh, so that'll be that'll be interesting as well. But yeah, you're right. A lot of a lot of young talent to work for, work with, and and I'm sure it'll be a very attractive job for for a number of candidates. There's been some that have been floated out there. There's a guy in Iowa. Uh, there's Justin Fry at UCLA. So we'll we'll see what direction they go. But uh, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure they'll get their guy. Yeah, like I said, we'll probably find out more information on this after the bowl game, probably in that first week after. But shifting to that bowl game, shifting to the Fiesta Bowl, we did get some updates on how the coaching staff for this game is going to look. It appears that Mike Elston is going to be calling the plays for the defense. Uh, Marcus Freeman will help him out a little bit. They're going to be doing it hand-in-hand. This isn't the first time Mike Elston has um, called the plays for the defense, but it'll be the first time in quite some time. And... The way I think about this, like he's been coaching for a long time, Elson that is, but he's never been promoted to defensive coordinator. And when Tommy Reese took over as the play caller for the Camping World Bowl against Iowa State, it felt like an audition for the then open offensive coordinator position because it was because um, we found out that Chip Long and Notre Dame were going separate ways. Um, obviously, that worked out for Tommy. He got the job. This doesn't feel like quite the same situation with Elston, but if Notre Dame's defense plays lights out, and with Elston having a little bit more control in the game plan due to you know all the circumstances and everything that Marcus Freeman has had to deal with since being promoted to the head coach, maybe the situation goes the same. Maybe it goes differently. How do you like? What's your read on that? Yeah, it does still seem like they might be pursuing an outside hire for defensive coordinator, which I find curious uh, considering the rest of the staff is in place. There's been some names floated out there. I don't really know who that's going to be. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I'm intrigued to see him call the shots on Saturday. Did he call the defense at all in 2016? I thought he might have. Yeah, I think that's that's when he did after Van Gorder was fired. Because there were there were some players clamoring for him to get promoted after that year to defensive coordinator. Um, so yeah, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, and I don't expect Notre Dame to do anything like drastically different than what they've done all year. It's not like you know Jim Knowles leaving um, the defensive coordinator for Oklahoma State who got a job at Ohio State, but. The outside hire thing is really curious to me as well, not just because the rest of the staff is in place, but Marcus Freeman said at his press conference that whoever that person is hired, he's going to ask them to use all of the same verbiage and all the same vernacular that the current defensive scheme uses. So he's going to have to come in as a defensive coordinator to a team with a defensive-minded head coach who's obviously going to have some say in the game plan. He's going to have to use that coaches all his verbiage and everything like that how they call it out all his way so that the players don't have to learn an entirely new scheme and he's not gonna have a say in the staff that doesn't sound all that appealing now obviously the defensive coordinator position at Notre Dame is an appealing job I'm not saying that it's not but when there's other ones out there like Florida Georgia I don't know I I just think it's a little bit weird I feel like if Freeman does hire someone outside he's got to know that person personally right yeah you would think um I'm really not sure what's going to happen there. But yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense. Yeah. And another coaching update, um, Nick Lazinski, who's a graduate assistant or analyst for the linebackers, he's been promoted. Um, He's going to be coaching the special teams in this one and the linebackers. And he could be a candidate to be the full-time linebackers coach going forward. But again, we will get more information after the ball. Yeah, I think he's he's also a candidate for the special teams job. Uh, alongside oh, right. a couple other guys. Um, 
Sounds like they're looking at Brian Mason from Cincinnati. He's worked with Freeman for a long time. He's also a recruiting coordinator at Cincinnati, so you could think that could be a fit with kind of this style. And then uh, Purdue, Purdue special teams coach Marty Biagi. He was an analyst at Notre Dame during the 2016 season. Also the outside linebackers coach at Purdue, something to consider. Don't get scared off by 2016 either. Notre Dame actually wasn't terrible on special teams that year. They took two kicks back to the house. So just looking out, sounds like probably going to be Brian Mason there, but um, something to monitor. Yeah, maybe the one thing Notre Dame did have going for them in, in 2016 was good special teams. All right, let's set the stage here for the Fiesta Bowl. Um, first meeting ever between Notre Dame and Oklahoma State. I don't need to tell you that Notre Dame's recent history in bowl games has not been great. They haven't won a major bowl game since 1993. And some weird stat, Notre Dame has only played OSU schools in the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, Oregon State, Ohio State twice, and now Oklahoma State. Um, Notre Dame is favored by two and a half. The over-under is at 45 and a half, which is pretty damn low in a college football game, but two good defenses. So, Luke, I know you're going. How excited are you to go down to uh, Glendale? So I've never actually been to um, to a bowl game per se, which is which is interesting. Of course, I've been to the two college football playoff games and the, and the national championship game, but never a true bowl game. So this will be a first. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. Um, I gave you that stat about the OSU thing. That's true in our lifetime. They have played Colorado and, of course, West Virginia in the Fiesta Bowl prior to our lifetime. So anyways... Uh, I do have a number of memories involving the Fiesta Bowl. I think I've mentioned on here the 01 Fiesta Bowl against Oregon State. It's the first Notre Dame game I remember. Reason for that is that Notre Dame was getting blown out, and my dad was so upset with the television coverage that he called ABC demanding they get TJ Hushmanzada off the screen because he was taunting on the sideline the entire game. So that's kind of why I remember that game. Um, I didn't attend the you know, any of these games, like I said, but the 2006 Fiesta Bowl after the 05 season, I know my dad was at that one, obviously didn't go very well. Uh, I weirdly have a ton of Fiesta Bowl apparel, despite never having attended it. I have a sweatshirt from that 2006 game, a long sleeve from the bowl against Ohio State that capped the 2015 year, which is also known as the day that Taylor Decker ruined Jalen Smith's career. And a hat from the 89 title game, which my dad also attended. Um, weirdly enough, I also have a shirt from the Stanford-Oklahoma State Fiesta Bowl from 2012. <laughs> Guess I must have been a big Brandon Weed so fan weird. my freshman year of high school. Yeah, I I do remember getting this shirt, but I don't remember why I got it. But yeah, about 10 years ago. So I, I still have that in my closet. I found that this week. <laughs> I don't have any Fiesta Bowl gear. Um, and honestly, most of my Fiesta Bowl memories have not been great either. I especially remember the 2006 one. My family was still living in Cleveland at the time. And, you know, Notre Dame playing Ohio State was a big, big deal. A lot of our friends were huge Ohio State fans. And we hosted this game watch party. Um, we rented out this place. I think there were like 200 people there. There were a ton. And maybe 12 were rooting for Notre Dame. And I was, uh, yeah, I was nine years old for this. I was so excited. I mean, this is the first good season Notre Dame really had in my lifetime other than 2002. We all know how that turned out. And obviously Notre Dame gets screwed by that um, Anthony Gonzalez fumble that wasn't. Um, then Zibby returned for a touchdown. It would have tied the game or uh, cut the deficit to one. I'm not quite sure there. But either way, it would have completely turned the game around. Instead, Ohio State goes on to win. 
And then I had to deal with a bunch of like drunk older Ohio State fans talk shit to me. Um, and shockingly, my nine-year-old self did not handle that that well. <laughs> so hopefully this Saturday we can make some good memories for the first time in our festival lives. Another thing that bothers me is when people talk about the 2006 Fiesta Bowl and the 2016 Fiesta Bowl and describe them blowouts because they simply weren't. I mean, as you described, that first game, the final was 34-21. If that Zubikowski thing doesn't get turned turned over, different game, and it was a very close game throughout. And 2016, not a blowout either. Uh, and Also, we were playing with a skeleton staff defense. I mean, Jalen Smith gets hurt in the first drive or whatever it was. I think Jerry Tillery in Redfield got suspended the night before the game, too, or the morning of the game, if you remember, uh, for missing curfew or something. And our secondary was like the third stringers playing. It was Nick Watkins. Even our backups were out. It was it was bad. Like So that really always pisses me off because they simply, like, they try to just group us all into this narrative, and it doesn't it doesn't fit. So that bothers me. Oh, Nicky Barati. That was one of the other guys playing in that game. Oh, yeah, that's that's how bad that secondary was. And that, and that Ohio State team had Ezekiel Elliott, JT Barrett, like Braxton Miller, Michael Thomas. Wow. You know who else had a tackle in that game? Doug Randolph, known as the bully of bookstore basketball, who yep. we knocked out in the Sweet 16 the following year. Yeah, and Notre Dame still only lost by um, 16. Will Fuller was playing on a bum ankle and took that one to the house. And he still, he still burned Eli Apple. Yeah. So hist- historically, the Fiesta Bowl – has not been kind to Notre Dame, but Notre Dame's coming in this one, riding the wave of momentum from the Marcus Freeman hire. Um, it's honestly one of the most joyous times in the history of being a Notre Dame football fan just because the whole fan base is sort of united on this for the first time literally ever. Uh, but they are going up against a good Oklahoma State team. I think I said on a, a previous podcast, I don't remember what it was, but randomly I've like watched a lot of Oklahoma State late in the year. Um, I think partially because of my new job at Fox, like a lot of their games run Fox and I sort of had to watch them, but they're a good team. Um, they sort of came on in the second half of this year that they start off the year, like really rough. I think they beat Missouri state by a touchdown. Uh, they beat Tulsa by five. They beat Boise state by one, but then again, week two, Notre Dame scraped by Toledo. So we're not here to judge September results, uh, for the festival, but their strength is their defense, but on offense, they did get Jalen Warren back. He's their running back. Um, what else can you tell us about the Oklahoma State offense? So it's not the same Oklahoma State offense we grew accustomed to seeing under Mike Gundy growing up. It's a super average offense, honestly, led by an average to below average quarterback, Spencer Sanders. Anybody who watched the Big 12 title game can tell you that. Uh, he was especially awful in that one. 31-46 or four picks, and his body language on the sideline was absolutely atrocious. Uh, the guys on Inside the Garage talked about this, and it was impossible to miss during that game. He was yelling at refs, yelling at teammates, you name it. I, I really think there should be an opportunity for Notre Dame to rattle the three-year, the third-year starter in this Fiesta Bowl. Uh, he seems like somewhat of a mental midget, so I'm excited to see that. Uh, he is somewhat mobile, so Notre Dame should be wary of that. They will use him in the running game, but... I think the bigger point here is the Cowboys seriously missed running back Jalen Warren in the Big 12 championship. He was out with an ankle injury, like you mentioned, but when healthy, he's the focal point of their offense. He likely extends for that game-winning touchdown if he was playing that day in Arlington. He will be back for this Fiesta Bowl, but I'm not really worried about it. I think Notre Dame's done a pretty good job against lead rushers all year. You just saw Jameer Gibbs, who they held to 55 yards, just commit to Alabama from Georgia Tech. 
Uh, they shut him down pretty well. Sanders really struggled with what Dave Aranda and Baylor did. Uh, he's terrible at reading defenses. They simulated pressure in showing rushers and then only sending three or four, and he just couldn't read it. He's actually thrown only 11 touchdowns to 11 picks when he's not blitzed this year, so really struggles reading coverages. Um, and, you know, to his, I guess, credit or not credit to his defense, he doesn't really have a ton of notable receivers. Tay Martins, their leader on the year, has got 70 catches for a little over 900 yards, but I think Notre Dame's secondary should match up pretty well against this offense. Of note, we saw Ryan Barnes move into the two deep this week at, at corner, so that'll be interesting. And, and I think watching Elston make the calls against this run-heavy offense will, will also be interesting, but I really do think Notre Dame matches up pretty well. Um, I, I'm not concerned about Spencer Sanders. Like I said, I think he's kind of garbage. So um, I, I think that this should be a, a pretty favorable matchup for the Irish defense. I do too. And one thing we haven't mentioned um, yet on the show, this news came out like the day after we released our episode last week. Um, Kyle Hamilton will not be playing in the bowl game. He opted out as did running back Kyron Williams. I don't think really anyone anticipated that Kyle Hamilton would play in a bowl game unless it was in the playoff. And even if it was in the playoff, I don't think he would have been um, near a hundred percent, but now it's official. He won't be playing. That's the only starter out on the defense yeah. um, as of now. I know Ramon Henderson has been dealing with an injury as well, but it seems like he'll play. But the Ryan Barnes thing, pretty surprising. Did Freeman ever comment on that? Or that was just like a depth chart note? I didn't see anything. He may have commented on it, um, but I didn't see anything. I just noticed on the depth chart, which, as we know, doesn't always mean a whole lot, but we'll see. Maybe that's a new Freeman thing. He actually updates the depth chart throughout the year. Yeah. Of note, Oklahoma State's starting center is also out of this football game. Um, so I don't know how much that impacts things, but just from a personnel standpoint, he's out with an injury as well. Yeah. Without Jalen Warren, that offense was just a shell of itself against Baylor. Baylor was just all over him all game. Um, he's back. We saw a clip of him posted by the Oklahoma State uh, Twitter account that he was back in practice this week, expected to play. How effective he's going to be, that's yet to be seen. Um, but definitely something to watch out for in this one. As for the other side of the ball, Tommy Reese and the Notre Dame offense are in for a big, big challenge against this Oklahoma State defense, even without their defensive coordinator and Broyles Award winner, Jim Knowles. Um, On paper, the Cowboys' numbers are off the charts. They're eighth in the country in scoring defense. Um, They only give up 16.7 points per game. They're second in the country in third down defense, and opponents have only converted on 49 out of 188 third down plays. It's just 26%. That's really damn good. And really, the main thing is they just force their opponents into a ton of third and long situations because they just get after it with negative plays. They've registered 55 sacks this season, which is more than any other school in the country, and they have 110 total tackles for loss, also first in the country. And overall, like they're effective against a run and the pass. Opponents are averaging just 2.74 yards per carry. That's fifth in the country, and they're 14th in the country in pass efficiency defense. So the weird thing is they don't really have a superstar name on their defense. Like They don't have a guy like Kyle Hamilton. And, you know, is this group the 85 Bears? No, but they didn't put up these numbers by accident. They're really good. And some guys to look out for, senior linebacker Malcolm Rodriguez, uh, he's their leading tackler, leader of the defense. He plays with reckless abandon. Um, he's only 5'11", 220 at the linebacker spot, but he flies around like his hair is on fire. 
14 tackles for loss in the air, blitzes with no regard to his own life, and just makes plays. Another small guy that got on the edge is a freshman, Colin Oliver. He's listed as 6'2", 230, as an edge rusher. But he has 11 and a half sacks and 15 tackles for loss. He won defensive newcomer in the Big 12. And he's going to be the one going up against Blake Fisher a lot. Um, to me, that will be the most interesting matchup to watch this entire game. Because, as we know, Blake has not pe- uh, played for Notre Dame since the first half of the season opener against Florida State. Had a torn meniscus, had surgery, put him out for the year. I don't know about you. I didn't expect him to play at all in this game. And now, and now he's starting in place of Lug. And... I don't, I don't really know. What kind of shape is Fisher in? Is he going to be able to keep up with Oliver? He does have Oliver by literally 100 pounds and 4 inches. But how do you see that playing out? It's interesting. It feels like literally five years ago the last time we saw him play. Like this season has had, I've talked about it on here, so many twists and turns that it's like, oh, wow. I forgot he was on the team almost. But, I mean, he was the prize jewel too. So, hey, like, yeah, it's first game back. It's a tough test. But uh, I trust that he's going to be up for it. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. Also, the Oklahoma State defense, their corners are big dudes. They're both very physical, not as good as probably Sauce Gardner like we saw in Notre Dame play early in the year, but they do run a lot of man-to-man. Jurek Bernard Converse is probably the better of the two corners he made. First team all Big 12, as did safety Colby Harvell Peel. And schematically, I don't think they'll change a ton uh, from what Jim Knowles was doing down there. They run a little bit of everything. They run some four-two-five. They run some three-down fronts. But really, their favorite thing to do is just mix it up. They're great at disguising pressure, and they bring a lot from their linebackers. And I think part of the reason why I liked watching them was because they just do so many different things, and they just play very fast. And when they do, when they're at the point of attack, like they're extremely physical and violent. So Notre Dame is going to have their hands full. As for how Notre Dame can attack, I think we're going to have to go back to like USC no huddle offense, where you just have to get the ball out quick, like. Very quick, especially on the early downs. So you stay on schedule against this defense and just don't give your offensive line time to get beat. To be honest with you, I think the absence of Kyron Williams is actually going to hurt most in the pass game because he was such an effective pass blocker and just was that last line of defense needed to protect Cone. And missing him is going to suck in that regard. Like thinking back to the Wisconsin game, when we just couldn't run the ball. Kyron was still very effective as a pass blocker and I think Tyree, Diggs, and Estime are all more than capable of carrying the ball uh, as running backs if the line gives them some space. But we'll have to see with the passing game. Another thing to look out for is uh, Kevin Austin. This could be a Kevin Austin revenge game because he's had an incredible second half of the season, but we all know how it went against Sauce Gardner and Cincinnati. Um, probably, no, that was definitely his worst game of the season. Gardner locked him up all game playing press man. He's going to have another opportunity to show NFL scouts that he can beat man coverage. I think Jamie Oyeyema of uh, Irish Sports Daily pointed out that Oklahoma State runs man 40% of the time. So we'll have to see. We also have Michael Mayer, and he's still the best tight end in the country despite the fact that he wasn't even nominated for the Mackey Award. So how do you see that side of the ball playing out? They haven't seen a tight end like Mayer all year. I think he dominates. Um, It's something also kind of strange their other starting safety, Tanner McAllister, has entered the transfer portal, but he's going to play in this game, which I think is very odd. And 
They also have a reserve defensive lineman uh, tackle, Jaden Jernigan, who's also in the portal. He's expected to play in this game. I just don't really see how that works. Like one foot out the door, one foot in, you're playing. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You saw it with the Florida quarterback the other night, and he he looked really good doing that. Um, so I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I know they have pretty good defense, but let's be honest. The Big 12 wasn't very good this year. Uh, you had an Oklahoma team that was very down. Baylor, we saw what they look like on offense. Texas is Texas. I, I don't mean to disrespect them, but I just – I'm not really that worried. Like, I know that they're very highly rated, and, and people have compared this to – the Wisconsin and Cincinnati defenses that Notre Dame saw earlier in the year, I just, I'm just not ready to put them there. Now, if I end up eating my words, so be it. But I, I just think there's too much going for Notre Dame to really think that this, this defense is going to stop them. Uh, obviously not having Kyron Hurts, but I just feel really confident. I think Jack Cohn is going to want to play really well in his, in his last game, and uh, I'm excited to see it. I think that's honestly what makes this matchup so intriguing is both teams – had strong regular seasons. Both schools went 11-1. Now Oklahoma State obviously had the additional loss playing in the Big 12 championship. But Notre Dame's schedule um, was not very difficult either, especially after that Cincinnati game. So all these improvements and all the strides that both sides of the ball have made over the second half of the year, um, now they're going to be put to the test against a team that looks like equal caliber, at least statistically. So it's going to be a great measuring stick for both programs. Now, I'm not going to say that like if Notre Dame loses this game, I'm going to look at this season in a totally different light, unless they get blown out. But I, I really don't see that happening either. But it's a big challenge without Kyron, without Lug. I think the Lug thing is, is just huge. Not to say that Lug was completely dominant all year, but he was second on the entire offense and snaps, only behind Kane Madden. And he did have a really strong second half of the season, Blake Fisher, if he comes in and just dominates, like that's going to just make you even more excited about how special he can be when he's actually fully healthy and has been playing a little bit. It's also interesting. Cause didn't Lug play for He Stand one year, or he was recruited by him? Yeah, he was recruited. No one on the roster played for him. He was he was talking about coming back for a sixth year. I wonder if that changes. Um, also, if Fisher comes out and dominates, I know they talked about moving him to guard, yeah. but we'll see. Whoa, wait, sorry, moving Fisher to guard. No, no, Lug. Oh, 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 I was going to say. Yeah. Okay. I think it's time for some predictions. You got any? Uh, I'm going back to my roots here. Maybe some of the excitement more off of the fan base or the holidays, but I think this team is going to come out extremely fired up in Marcus Freeman's first game. Going up against the Oklahoma State team that I don't think is very good uh, without its defensive coordinator and a defense that, like I mentioned, is playing two guys currently in the portal. I just don't think this one's close. I'm picking another blowout. <laughs> I'm not in the year how I started it. I'm saying Notre Dame 34, Oklahoma State 10. Uh, I just want to blow out in a bowl game for once. Jack Cohn has one last big day in blue and gold, and the Irish roll in Glendale. Should lock up a final spot in the top four for them, which be the first time that happens since I want to say 2012. Uh, so that would be awesome. I just – I that Big 12 game really kind of scarred me with how ugly it was, and I just – I struggled just – to think Oklahoma State is much of anything. Yeah, I remember a little over a month ago, you're like, I couldn't name one player, and then the game we watched where it was just not a great performance by Oklahoma State. Um, but I like it. We're getting the full Luke Smith experience. You came out firing with shots at Notre Dame fans. They become um, a typical target of yours in the NFL, which I was not expecting. Um, 
Yeah, I'm going to go the opposite direction here. I would be really surprised if this game is a blowout. I've already said um, there's too much talent on both sides of the ball for me to think that there's a clear advantage in one direction going any way. I do think Notre Dame comes out very fired up, though. I think they are riding that wave of momentum, like I mentioned. But we know that kind of momentum can be sucked away on like one big play early on in the game. So I'm not going to bank on that um, as a reason why I think Notre Dame will ultimately come out on top. I think this game is going to be determined in the trenches in the trenches. And if Notre Dame's offensive line can hold up against that front seven, Notre Dame has better skill players on the outside and then they should be able to win. But that's a big if, like I've already mentioned my concerns about Blake Fisher coming in after a year off. That's an incredibly tall task for any player let alone a true freshman, even one as talented as Blake. Fortunately for Notre Dame, even if they do struggle moving the ball, uh, I don't think Oklahoma State is going to have a ton of success there either. So I think it's ultimately going to come down to turnovers. And as recent history has shown, Spencer Sanders is uh, certainly prone to them. And I think he's more prone to them than Jack Cohn. I think Notre Dame's probably going to need some breaks to go their way. Maybe a missed field goal, maybe a turnover late. Um, or I don't know, maybe a timely pass interference call. But a lot of things have been going their way as of late, and I think they get one more on Saturday to win 24 to 20. Yeah, I don't think they need breaks. (laughs) (laughs) This is like week two when you're like (laughs) Notre Dame 70, Toledo 7. That is not what I said. I I think I said said 56 to something. But yeah, it is like you're like I said, I said I'm going back to my roots here. But I just listen, I watched them. They were so bad. It's hard to give them any respect here. <laughs> you watched one game, dude. And and it was Without a big their best stage. Player on offense. And it was a big stage and they shit the bed. Okay. It's easier to ask you who is a good team in college football. Give me a list of like Luke Smith approved objectively good college football teams i'm putting you on the spot here to close i, I honestly don't know that i have any i think everybody's <laughs> just kind of there this year you've, you've ruled out every every team other than notre dame no well I'm, hey i am saying as much as i hate them i think cincinnati's gonna get bama a game this friday i'm just saying it whoa i don't think i think they're i think their corners hang in there i think they do um and i think the bama thing was kind of fluky against georgia i, I like they just haven't looked like that all year and uh I don't want to root for Cincinnati because I really dislike them after what happened with us this year. But listen, that could be a better game than people think. I'm shocked you said that. I guess now we're doing college football playoff predictions too, a little bit impromptu, but whatever. Um, I can't wait to watch Sauce Gardner go up against Jameson Williams. Um, I think Cincinnati's DBs are actually good enough to sort of hang with Gardner was so good this year that people didn't throw at him, so they forgot to put him on All-American teams. So Kobe Bryant got all the press instead. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to watch. See if they can hang with them. And yeah, like you said, Alabama hasn't looked like that all year, especially their offensive line. And then just classic Nick Saban voodoo shit. They just turn it on in the SEC championship. And I'm not gonna lie, as ridiculous as it was for Will Anderson to say that they they feel like they're underdogs, the way he said it and watching that video, like I don't think he's just saying that. I think Saban has somehow convinced a team of five stars who wins every year that they're being disrespected. It's almost like the Dabo thing, but it works. They made up fake headlines before the 2015 Cotton Bowl, right? From the national media and hung them up in their locker room. (laughs) 
that doesn't surprise me at all. I've not heard that before. It was Aaron Aaron Suttles of the Athletic wrote an article today showing like pictures of their locker room before the Cotton Bowl, and like I forget what the quote was, but something along the lines of "Alabama is overrated." It was just attributed to national media. You can find it on the Athletic, but they literally need to make shit up to to hype themselves up. It's it's ridiculous. That's kind of like um, Michael Jordan in the Last Dance, where he just would basically make up feuds with people and be like, nah, you dissed me, and therefore I have to kill you. But yeah. um, that's all I got for this weekend's games. You got anything more you want to add? Uh, Georgia by 40, but that's it. Oh, okay. Yeah, we didn't get that one. I think that one uh, might be close too, but we'll see. It's Georgia might have some COVID issues, but that they're keeping Michigan's it Michigan's feeling themselves a little too much for somebody that hasn't done anything in 30 years, so. I'll be I'll be so mad if Michigan makes a national championship before Notre Dame does, but uh, they won't. All right, that'll do it for our last game preview of the 2021 season. That's hard to believe, honestly. But uh, thank you all for listening, not just this one, but uh, for coming back year round. We hope you'll join us again after the new year for our recap of the festival. Until then, give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Sons of Set Irish, and we'll be sure to keep you updated on anything regarding the game between now and kickoff. But until then, we'll see you next week. Bye.